Hey everybody, welcome back to Today on the Gram. This is your host, McKenna Miller. Uh, today I have someone really special with me. This is Betsy Stratton. She is my covenant group leader, um, my spiritual director, and she is the person that I learned the Enneagram from. So very special to have her on with us today because she is one of those people that I don't know if she would describe herself as this, but I see her as an expert and I learned everything I know from her. And so I'm really excited to have her on the call today. So Betsy, talk to us a little bit about yourself, what you do and where you're from and all that good stuff. Thank you, McKenna, so much for having me on today. It is such an honor to be described as an Enneagram mother and knowing that I am passing along this great wisdom to other women, especially um, as it has just been so helpful for me. As McKenna said, I do work as a spiritual director. I also am a pastor at a church here in Dallas, which is where I have lived for the last almost 13 years. So I guess after all the other places I've lived, that Dallas is home for me. Awesome. I love that. Well, um, what do you identify as on the Enneagram? I identify as an Enneagram 2, uh, which a lot of Enneagram leaders call the helper. And I um, feel like it is a, a perfect fit for me. And the more that I learn about it, the more that I see, oh, the good parts and the ugly parts are very true of who I am. So Enneagram 2. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. So let's just talk about the Enneagram in general. I'm going to go ahead and read the description of the two, of the different states of a two. So the healthy, the average, and the unhealthy. And then we'll talk a little bit about Betsy's personal experience um, with the Enneagram. So first is healthy twos. They can often name their own needs and feelings without fear of losing relationships. They are generous in their efforts to love well and care for others. These happy, secure twos also have appropriate boundaries, knowing what is theirs to do and what is not. They create a comfortable, safe space for others and are often considered to be a friend to many. Loving and lovable, they adapt well to changing circumstances and are aware of the true self that exists beyond their relationships. Average twos are convinced that the expression of their own needs and feelings will automatically threaten the stability of their relationships. They are generous people, but they are often consciously or subconsciously expect something in return for their efforts. They have poor boundaries and generally only know themselves in relation to other people. They are attracted to powerful people whom they expect to define them and they'll use flattery to pull them in. Unhealthy twos are codependent. In their desire to be loved, they will accept almost any substitute, appreciation, neediness, companionship, and purely utilitarian relationships. These twos are insecure, manipulative, and often play the role of the martyr. They don't give so much as invest, trying to earn love by meeting others' needs, but always expecting a high return on that investment. So Betsy, like when you hear those descriptions of the different states of a two, where do you find yourself today, right now? Sure. And I think that's an important distinction. One of the best things about Enneagram, in my opinion, is that it is not a static descriptor. It is something that moves with you in every season of life, even within the same day. You can move from average to unhealthy to healthy, um, even into pathological. And so I think that it gives a tool for wherever we find ourselves. So right now, in this moment of recording, I would say I am in average space. Um, Enneagram helps me identify the places where I am particularly wanting for love or attention. And I think that that has helped me so much as a barometer for where I am each day, how I'm engaging the world. I think the descriptor that I really clung to this morning as you were reading average twos, um, they tend to define themselves based on who they are with other people, who they are in relationship. And I definitely identify that in myself a lot, that I am um, 
a pastor or I am a friend or I am a daughter or I am a sister or I am a partner. And, um, I think that is a, a trait that I definitely see in myself. So okay, I will go with average is the space I find myself. Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about how you initially came across the Enneagram. How did you hear about it and what process did you take to discover the number that you identify with? So my spiritual director, her name, I'll name drop her here. Her name is Risa Higgins. And she first introduced me to the Enneagram. She has done study under Suzanne Stabile, who is an Enneagram master, um, who has done her study under Richard Rohr. And so I am kind of the, the great grandchild of a lineage Enneagram masters having learned through Risa. And so Risa introduced me to this um, by giving me and some other women she was working with a list of descriptions of the different numbers. And it was a short, a short read similar to what you um, read today. And as I read through them, there was a lot about other numbers that really felt like, yes, I can see that um, behavior in my life. I can see how I might, may live out that behavior. But really when I came to the description of twos, and this has happened to me so many times in the last six years as I've known Enneagram that someone will read the um, core motivation of a two to be loved and wanted. And it's said in a lot of different ways depending upon what source you're reading. But I just started crying. And the idea of truly being loved for who you are, not for what you've done, um, just really struck something with me. And this fear of being um, unloved or not wanted. And I think that really caught my attention because that was a, certainly a different response than what I had had to any of the other numbers as I was reading about them. And so that extremely strong reaction said to me, I need to pay attention here. So that was the first step of saying, okay, maybe, maybe two would fit me. Um, from there, I did some reading. I've read um, both of Suzanne's books. Um, the first one, The Road Back to You, that she wrote with Ian Cron. And I think that that was a great starting point for me, particularly as a person who identifies as a Jesus follower. There's so much wisdom that comes from um, specifically the Christian faith tradition within her writings. And so I just started getting any information I could from her books, following her podcast, um, listening to things on Instagram. And I began to really differentiate what is deep and helpful Enneagram knowledge and what is pop culture Enneagram knowledge. Yeah. And the more that I did that, the more I was able to really see how Enneagram was a tool. And the more that I accepted it as not a label, but as a tool for spiritual growth, the more that wisdom about Enneagram twos really resonated with me. And so that process for me was very quick. I really identified as a two within a couple of weeks of, of learning the Enneagram. And so I've been able to really lean into that particular piece um, of Enneagram as I've explored more about being a two. Yeah, and I love how you talked about it being a tool and not just something to, uh, you know, like put yourself in a box with. It's another, you know, um, when you introduce yourself, I'm a pastor, I'm a Enneagram three. Like it's not just something that you just describe yourself as, but it is a tool for learning and it's a continuous journey. Um, of being in a different space every day and um, multiple times a day. And the book that she referenced is the book that we are going through in this podcast. Um, we do still have copies of it here at the church. If you would like to buy one for $10, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile. So thanks again for bringing that up, Betsy. Tell me a little bit about your experience in life being a two times when you've noticed yourself being healthy in your type? 
again, I would say because of the work of the Enneagram, I'm able to access healthy space more often. So for me, I would say, let's, let's say my Enneagram six years, that first year of learning was really accessing as much information as I can. And so by the second year of working with the Enneagram, I was beginning to see how that was playing out in, in bringing healthy interactions into my life. Because of the two, so much of how I see the world comes through relationship, I think I'm most able to see, wow, I'm in a healthy space when I am healthy in relationship. So I'll tell the story of an interaction that I had with my family of origin. Um, my family of origin is all also familiar with the Enneagram, and I, I have in that group of people an Enneagram 8, an Enneagram 5, and an Enneagram 1. And a pattern of behavior within my family of origin is I, I rarely express what I want or what I need, and because I have three very um, opinionated and driven people that I do life with within that system. And I can remember that holiday season, whether it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, I'm not sure. But I, I went into that with a perspective that I'm going to be aware of my own needs and wants. And I am not going to leave this week with my family of origin, having completely depleted myself and having completely given over any of my own needs and wants. And it was very difficult when you are interacting with the system in a way that is different than they expect you to behave. Um, there is some, some tension there. There's some friction that comes from changing the way you've always behaved. And I walked away from that week realizing that I am still extremely connected to my parents, to my sister, the conflict and friction that me articulating my needs created didn't ruin our relationship. I wasn't abandoned. I was not left unwanted or unloved. And it gave me the confidence to say, okay, within this safe system, we were able to manage the friction. We were able to move forward. My needs and wants were acknowledged and um, met. And I am deeply loved. And it gave me so much more courage to do that in other systems where I may not feel as secure. And the more that I did that, the more that I realized how beautiful it is to be able to function within a system and not be pouring out of myself, particularly when I am empty. Um, and to be able to look at relationships as true connection and not transactional, not I am investing in this person so that when I need something, um, they'll, they'll be there for me, um, but rather just truly trying to achieve intimate connection and true um, love and want and belonging within my relationships. So that really started a chain of events where I began putting my toe into expressing my own desires with my friendships, with my coworkers, um, within my environment as a pastor. And at this point, I think most of my people are used to it. Um, so I don't have as much friction with that anymore. Uh, but that was, that was a great example of Enneagram journey that it has taken six years to really move forward, forward with that and work toward accessing healthier space on a more frequent basis. Thank you. On the opposite side of that, what are times you've noticed, you know, being in an unhealthy space as a two? I certainly look back on life before knowing the Enneagram and recognize hundreds of times where I spent significant seasons living in excess. Um, certainly so much of who I was in my early 20s was about trying to meet that need and address the fear of being unloved and unwanted. And so the person that I was, particularly while I was at university, when I was moving into um, my first adult career, 
I used so much energy trying to make sure that I had enough people in my life that I could, that I had invested so much into that they had no choice but to be there for me. And a lot of manipulative behavior in that particular season of my life, just using what I knew I had to offer to people to secure attachment and connection for myself. And looking back, I see now there was so much pain associated with that season as well, because so much of that energy was wasted on relationships that were not true connections, that were not safe and secure. And my attempt to manipulate those relationships into being safe and secure was not very productive. And so I can look back now and associate those times where I was unhealthy or living in excess and see the pain that was present there and use that as a reminder for when I see that unhealth creeping up in myself, I can connect that with pain and hopefully use that as a marker for, okay, we need to do some self-care. We need to talk to a therapist, talk to a spiritual director, talk to someone that can help identify why this unhealth is creeping up, why I'm living in excess in my number, so that I can hopefully um, av maybe avoid the pain, but if not avoid the pain, have some productive tools for moving forward with it. Um, more recently, uh, I think anyone who's listening to this, unless you're listening from a spaceship 50 years in the future, um, is very familiar with where our world is right now. We are living in a painful and challenging season of human history. And I have been very aware since March of my own tendencies when I am unhealthy and watching for times where I'm moving to unhealth, watching for times where I'm living in excess. And I can point particularly to early May as a time where I began really over-identifying with my work, um, really wanting to make sure I was connected to all of the people within my faith community and checking in on them and being the person that was meeting their needs and being the person that they depended on and that they really like had to call if they needed something. And I had to pump the brakes and say, no, that's not mine to do. Um, there are places where I can meet needs as a pastor, but I can't fix this. I can't fix the pandemic. I can't fix the stress. And I really spent some time in self-care, which for me looks like um, time alone. It looks like moving my body. It looks like being honest with my people about how I'm feeling. And that helped me to come out of that space of excess where I am an unhealthy too. And instead, and I don't know how much, if any, you will talk about this on your podcast, but you know, the tools that Enneagram uses of, of leaning into other numbers when you're in stress or security to me have become such a lifesaver. And so for a two who is in stress to make the move to healthy eight and be able to set good boundaries, be able to move quickly in decision-making, be able to um, lean into action instead of, instead of sitting only in feelings, be accessing that part of myself is a lifesaver when I'm in stress. And if I can be healthy enough to move from two to healthy eight instead of two to unhealthy or excess two, I am much more capable of, of living in a stressful season. And so I'm so thankful for that language and to be able to say that to the people in my life to say, okay, I'm going to make the choice to move to eight now. And you may be off put by my directness because it's not how I usually am, but no, this is what's going on. And it's just so helpful to have that language and be able to articulate, this is what's going on with me. I'm stressed. And so I'm using this as a tool to move through this stress in a healthier way. Yeah. 
Has there been a time in your life when your number has been challenging for you? I think that's a great question. I, I actually love being a two. I think that so much about being a two, particularly in the circles that I run, is valued. People love helpers. People love warmth. People love having a person in their life that they feel like they can always depend on. And as a result, I Enneagram journey feeling really proud of, yeah, I am a two. I am a helper. I am warm and friendly and lovely and I all of your needs. Yeah, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank you for that affirmation. Um, But I will say that as I have gone further into my journey with Enneagram, um, there are some dark, dark parts of being a two. And I think a challenge to that is maybe differently than other numbers. Um, The negative parts aren't things that other people see necessarily. There are people in my life who will never know that my behaviors are actually super manipulative. Um, they won't ever see it that way. They will only see it as, as good and helpful. And there are people in my life who will never know um, how deep that another person's actions can impact me. There are people in my life who will never know how incredibly draining or taxing their relationship with me is because they take so much from me and I get so little in return. And so I think the dark parts of being a two can be easily hidden, even in unhealth. Now, people who know me really well, uh, they'll call me out when they see those unhealthy behaviors. But I would say the average person that's in my life may never see those dark parts. They're not going to see an explosion of anger. They're not going to see a withdrawal. They're not going to see a high level of anxiety. They're not going to see a deep season of melancholy, which is what are presenting with some other numbers during unhealth. And I think that's a challenge of being a two is that some of my unhealthy behaviors can go so unaccounted. Um, and so few people will actually hold me to the fire of, Hey, you're living in, in unhealth. This is unhealthy two space and you've got to do something about it. The last thing I'll say about that is if you have a two in your and you find that they um, are clingy, that they are trying to access your attention all the time, or that they are inserting themselves into your lives in ways that is not helpful. They're working so hard to meet needs that you have not asked them to meet. A way that you can help a two move to healthier space is to start by saying, I really love you. I love you so much, not because of what you do for me, but because of who you are. And start any conversation that you have with connection so that that too knows no matter what comes next in this conversation, our relationship is perfectly secure. And from that space, you can do a lot of of learning together about how to move toward healthier relationship um, if you create that secure connection. Talk a little bit about um, the challenges, but also um, things that are just really about being a two in your workspace as being a pastor in ministry in the church. So in some ways, pastoring is perfectly aligned with being a two. It is a profession that you'll sometimes see listed in, you know, what are, what are good jobs for Enneagram twos? You may find pastoring, you may find other helping professions on that list. A challenge 
that I see connected to who I've been created to be and what I have chosen to do professionally is it is easy for me to over identify with pastoring. It is very easy for me to allow being a pastor to actually become who I am and not how I am engaging with the world. And the differentiation that I think needs to be made there is whether I am doing a great job of helping meet people's needs and really quote unquote successful as a pastor or my belovedness. And a way that I have seen pastoring really overtake my life is there have been seasons where being a pastor was such a hit for me in getting my desire to be wanted and needed that I was working all the time. I was never inaccessible. I was always available to the people within my church, to even people without outside of my church. And that is a that is a direct train to unhealth to allow yourself to be accessible all the time. The other thing I think, particularly for the context in which I work, um, any decisions that are made within the system that do not positively impact me feel so personal. Mm. And I'll use the example specifically because I would say this to anyone within my faith community. You know, we did some work on how women's gifts could be included. And that was such a painful journey for me because said and done felt so personal to me. And so these deep connections that I desired to have with our leadership and with other people in our faith community, when that connection was tested by our interpretation of scripture, that felt so painful. And so I've had to do a lot of work to separate myself from my role as a pastor, to separate myself from the church environment and choose to participate as an individual instead of as a pastor. And really making that distinction helps protect, frankly, some parts of my heart that um, if they are hurt can move me toward unhealthy spaces. So right now I'm getting the opportunity to do that as our church talks about racial reconciliation and to come into that as Betsy and all that she encompasses instead of coming into that as pastor and really be able to recognize that any conversations we have that are difficult or painful are not about me and they're not about my belonging within that system and they're not about um, how loved or not I am. And certainly not connected at all to how beloved I am of God. And that's difficult work to do. If, if you are an Enneagram 2 pastor, um, that is difficult work to separate your belovedness from your role as a leader. So when we talk about the Enneagram um, we talk a little bit about what it does with our spiritual life and how um, one of the, my favorite things about this book is how it does play into that and our work in church and the different roles that we have there. Um, and so one of the things it mentions is it talks about the deadly sins and the sins for each type. And so the deadly sin for twos is pride and in the book, it says, twos direct all their attention and energy toward meeting the needs of others while disavowing having any of their own. Their secret belief that they alone know what's best for others and that their indispensable reveals their prideful spirit. Do you think that 
that applies to you? And if it does, in what ways? I did not ask her permission to tell this story. Um, so I'll try to keep it as coded as I can, but it is a perfect example for me of how this sin of pride creeps up for me. So I have a very dear friend who is also an Enneagram too. And as a person we were both in contact with, a moment of crisis. And over the course of several days, this friend of mine, I would hear a story about a way she was engaging with this person in crisis. And then I would do something to engage this person in crisis. And all of a sudden, over the course of several days, it was like we were one-upping one another in meeting this person's needs and going above and beyond to make sure that, that this person had what they needed during this season of crisis. And there was one point where this person I love dearly did something so beautiful and sacrificial. And I was so mad. I was so <laughs> mad that this person had done a better job of meeting this, this other individual's needs than I had. And wowie zowie, was that a red flag of this is some unhealthy space that you are living in, Betsy, when you are mad that someone else is helping another individual in crisis? So when I first read that pride is the sin of twos, I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't consider myself to be arrogant or haughty or some of the words that are, are often associated with pride. And yet... Exactly as you said in that description, my inability, frankly, to ask for help and my perspective that I can, I can meet my own needs and I don't need help with that. And also, as that story indicates, my tendency to think, oh, I'm the best helper there is. I'm the person that should be able to meet my partner's needs and my friend's needs and my family's needs and my church's needs. And no one else can do that. Only I can do that. Even they can't do that. Even my closest people, they don't know what they really need. They need me to tell them what they really need is comical frankly, um, the more work that I've done with Enneagram, the more that I see that behavior as so ridiculous. And it inhibits my ability to actually live into who I have been created to be in the world. When I am hung up on being the best need meter or hung up on um, making sure that other people don't see me having needs then I'm not getting to be who I was created to be in the world. And so I'm thankful for people in my life who call me out on that, for tools that have helped me see that behavior in myself so that hopefully I am living in healthier space more often and not angry at my friend for being a good person. Yeah. In your own spiritual development or your soul care time, how do you think your number comes into play with that? And what activities do you typically gravitate towards? I think those are, are two different questions. Okay. Uh, I, I gravitate toward things that allow me to be connected to other humans. I gravitate toward communion. I gravitate toward... Um, times that are intended to access feelings. I gravitate toward being reminded that I am the beloved of God. And I love warm and fuzzy and I love um, crying and I love doing that with other people and I love Jesus. And so you know, communion and conversations where I am led to meditate on being connected to Jesus and doing that in a group environment. Those are my favorites. Having said that, I have learned that it is really important for me to access 
other forms of spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. And some that are particularly helpful for me, um, practicing examine, being able to sit in silence at the end of a day and reflect on what my experiences were like that day. Um, to really both lean into feeling and say, you know, this is a time where I felt really loved, or this was a time where I felt really unloved or unwanted, but also accessing thinking space to say, to ponder my own behavior in that situation or to ponder another person's experience um, really helps me to be more productive in my feeling and to not be as reactive. Another thing that I have found is really helpful is um, solitude. It is unfortunate because it is not my preference to be alone. And yet I, I can't remember who who told this story, but another Enneagram 2 on a podcast I heard one time told the story of trying to sit in solitude and silence. And this person had chosen to be completely alone, separated from other people. And they found themselves interrupted by the thought that they needed to go water their plants that there was another living being that needed their attention. And I so resonated with that because it is so easy for me without even noticing to move into taking care of someone else's needs. Twos are constantly pinging their environment to see how everyone else is feeling, how everyone else is doing. And so certainly if there are other humans in that environment, I'm doing that. Um, But even that story of I can avoid myself and my needs so well that I might draw my attention to a plant in the room that needed me. And so it's so important for me to get away and disconnect from any anyone else's feelings that I may lean into or ping onto. Um, I'll tell a quick story that my boyfriend, um, he went out of town for a weekend earlier in the pandemic. And while he was away, I chose to spend that weekend completely alone. I didn't see any friends. I turned my phone off. And what I was able to recognize is I can go months without eating at the restaurants I want to eat at or watching the television shows that I want to watch or sleeping when I want to sleep. And that's for me as a person that's single. Imagine for our Enneagram twos that have partners and families and children and um, aging parents that they're taking care of or, you know, however their life is playing out. And so just Watching for that in myself, making sure that I have days or weekends or weeks where I completely disengage from the world around me and I allow myself to be exactly who I am in that moment, to pay attention to exactly what I need and want, and to also bring that before the Lord. Because so much of the energy and conversation that I have um, with the Lord is connected to what's happening in the world or what's happening with other people. And so really forcing myself to sit with God and say, this is who I am today. This is what I need today. This is what I want today um, is great stretching practice for me. Thank you. Is there anything else just about your own personal experience being a two or about twos in general that you want to share with our podcast today? A couple of notes that I will add to what I've said today. Number one, Enneagram wisdom can be life-changing. People who choose to do the work of accessing this tool and really learning their number, really understanding who they are in health, who they are in unhealth, um, and also learning to do that with other people, understanding other numbers, understanding other people's way of seeing. 
Um, it should, and this is wisdom from other Enneagram scholars, not my own, but I've heard this quote so many times from Enneagram teachers of, if Enneagram is not helping you grow in compassion for yourself and other people, then you're using the tool incorrectly. And I think that is so true. And so as you are on this journey of learning about Enneagram, um, lean into compassion. Lean into compassion for yourself. Lean into compassion for the people you share life with. And really try to learn your own motivations, the motivations of the people around you. Um, if you are new to Enneagram and you find that you are leaning toward identifying as a two, um, I would encourage you to really think about those core, the core fear, the core motivation. Um, watch how you can connect the line of your behavior to that core fear. And I will put a caveat or a, a warning that if you are a female, who grew up in a religious tradition and or grew up in the South, um, the characteristics of twos are overvalued within those systems, within um, Christian faith tradition than Southern faith traditions. And so I have met several women who grew up in one or both of those systems who originally identified as a two because those were the traits they were taught to value. And there's a lot of freedom in really doing the work to say, is this actually my core motivation or is this what I was taught to value as good? And that could give you some insight into maybe there's another number that you actually um, are created to be and doing the work of uh, decoupling the traits you were taught to value with with who you actually are and and how you actually are created to see the world could create some beautiful space for freedom for you and could allow you to live more fully into who you've been created to be so the last thing I'll say is that as a two and to my fellow twos, I think that we have warmth to bring to the world. We have connection to bring to the world. We have an ability to see people for exactly who they are that we can bring to the world. There are times where I am able to recognize um, a need or recognize pain or recognize emotion in a person that no one else in the room can see. And the more that I do the work of knowing that I'm beloved, the more that I do the work of disconnecting my behavior from who I know that I am, the more I'm ready to meet those needs, the more I'm ready to sit with that pain, the more that I'm ready to hold that emotion. And so I really encourage my fellow twos to um, lean into your belovedness, to allow yourself to believe that fully before you begin accessing those connections with other people. Because if you have done that work, and if you can access healthy space more often, you will be able to meet needs in a way that you are uniquely equipped to do. And there is work that is ours to do as twos that no one else can do. And so in order to do that well, we need to be healthy and we need to be taking care of our own souls so that we can meet that need that we have been um, uniquely equipped to meet. And so I hope that you are accessing soul care. I hope you have a therapist and or a spiritual director who is loving you well and holding space for you to be who you truly are so that you can continue bringing the beautiful gift that you are as a two to the world. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, thank you for being on our podcast today. Betsy, I've really enjoyed having you and having this conversation. Um, you just said everything so beautifully, so much wisdom and thought was put into your answers. And I really appreciate that. Um, so just thank you again for being on with me today. 
Um, we're going to transition now into our time of listening to the song by The Sleeping at Last. This week, we are going to listen to the song that is Sleeping at Last depiction of what a two is through not only their lyrics, but through the music that they create as well. So I'm going to go ahead and play that now. Sweetheart, you look a little tired. When did you rest eat? Call me to make yourself right at home. Stay as long as you need. Tell me something wrong if something's wrong. You can count on me. You know, take my heart clean apart if it helps yours be. It's okay if you can't find the words Let me take your coat and this weight off of your shoulders Like a force to be reckoned with A mighty ocean or a gentle kiss I will love you with every Take the oxygen straight out of my own chest. I know exactly how the rule goes, put my mask on first. song and um i just love hearing that every week so thanks again betsy i just really love this conversation i loved having you today 
McKenna, I am so proud that you have taken the step of sharing the Enneagram with the people in your sphere of influence. And I'm so grateful that you asked me to be part of that, to share my experience as a two. I am so glad for and proud of the work that you have done personally with Enneagram. And I know that that is a gift to the people that are in your circle and the people that are listening to this podcast. So you are doing good work in bringing the Indian to a new group of people. And I am so grateful for that. Thank you so much for having me on today. <laughs> um, so I know a lot of y'all don't know this, but after each covenant group, when we share, Betsy looks at us and says, you are doing good work. And there are times when I just, I say that in my head, in her voice regularly when I'm stressed out and I just am like, what would Betsy say? And I hear, you are doing good work. So having that affirmation today um, was just, thank you for that. And thank you for saying you're proud of me because, oh, I'm getting emotional over here. <laughs> um, again, I love this conversation. I'm so excited about next week. We're going to talk about threes. Um, I, I am a three. So I'm going to have a good friend of mine on the call. And I'm going to try not to talk too much, insert my own opinions in there and my own feelings and my own spaces of being healthy and unhealthy. But it's going to be great. And I'm so excited to have y'all listen next week. This is Today on the Gram. Oh.